Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hey, culminators. Today I am going to be speaking with one of the most, how shall I put it, um, polarizing people on the internet. And if I didn't know what everybody else thought about him, not everybody else, but a lot of people who don't like Ian Miles Chong, um, I, I wouldn't know that. I, I followed him for years. He's followed me for years. I always thought he was, his takes were interesting and insightful and He's, you know, his background is different from mine, but I'm going to let him do the talking. I'm going to let him explain how he managed to make so many enemies and why, when I listen to these stories that these people tell about how much they hate him, I'm having a great deal of trouble finding the there there. So maybe, maybe Ian will figure it out for us. Ian, thanks yeah. for joining me today. How are you? Absolutely. Uh, I'm good. How are you? You were telling me just before we, uh, just before we uh, um, started recording, that you were in the middle of another exciting episode of Twitter Files. That is correct. Yep. And Lee this Fang the, dropped the Pfizer Files. Yeah. The Pfizer Files. All right. By the time we drop this, I guess people will know about it. Everyone's going to know about it. But so, so you know, I don't. I guess I don't want to. You know, uh, talk about old news, but you know, it is. Were you? Were you? Were you um? You seem to have very well. How shall I put this? Let's talk first about who you are to those who don't know who you are. Even sure. though you really like you're like one of these internet personalities, but you're you your background is as a gaming journalist, right? Uh, originally a decade ago, yeah, decade and then ago. I got into real journalism. You know, I started working for News Corp at a site called Heat Street. It was run by News Corp, so you know Fox News. They would always. Uh, repurposed the articles I wrote for them. It was a more culture-related website. Uh, pretty good staff, apart from Louise Mensch. Uh, I'm sure you're all familiar of who Louise Mensch is. <laughs> she, she's the one with that special relationship with the marshal of, of the Supreme Court, as I recall. That, that is correct, yeah. The ones who, uh, who are going to condemn uh, uh, Trump to death or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> but But I guess your time in the gaming world had probably had something to do with putting a mark on your back, right? Because you 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 are a Gamergate yep. figure, a figure of it. A yeah, figure. like people don't seem to understand where I was during that time. They seem to think that you know, if if you're on the left, you'll be off the opinion, and this is an incorrect opinion that I was uh, in charge of Gamergate or that I was a big proponent of it. In fact, I wasn't. I was actually on the other side, the social justice side, what we would now refer to as the woke side. And that's because game journalism, like every other media industry, is completely dominated by the left. And so even if you were you know, center-leaning, I would say I was center-leaning at the time, 
it was hard to escape that. And when you see your quote unquote friends, you know, be attacked by a group of people for whatever reason, right, you tend to want to defend them. Now, obviously, later on, we discovered um, pretty early on, actually not later on, was that uh, the censorship was to simply stop the criticism of anyone in the game industry, at least uh, uh, certain people, the woke people in the gaming industry, they were using uh, censorship as a means to stop people from criticizing them. And that is what became Gamergate. So that's a pretty brief overview of Gamergate. And, you know, there's a lot more to go into it, but it's not really that interesting. Well, the core of Gamergate, though, right, What of, of all the woke issues, wasn't feminism, wasn't treatment of women the, the hot button? That issue. was how they painted it, right? That was how uh, the, the woke people painted it. They said that this was gamers fighting back against feminists and seeing, you know, uh, women have representation in video games and in the media. But that was, you know, that's that's just gaslighting, right? That's not what it was. There were a lot of uh, Gamergate supporters were women and women have had a lot of representation in the video game industry. That is without a doubt true, right? All you have to do is look back at Lara Croft, for instance, for a popular game in the 90s, main female character, uh, women were celebrated. If anything, gamers, you know, being predominantly male at the time, uh, wanted to have more women in the industry. The issue was that a few uh, social justice activists, uh, what we would call woke people nowadays, were trying to inject their politics into video games, putting the DEI, C CRT stuff into video games, and people were taking issue with it. They were like, so these guys are getting special favors from gaming journalists who were giving them special platforms, extra coverage, all this done uh, you know, uh, behind the scenes. So there were very a lot of personal relationships being built uh, between games journalists, uh, entertainment media journalists uh, with the social justice activists. So it wasn't uh, women in gaming being attacked. It was more like a criticism of specific journalists, in particular Gawker, right? Gawker at the time before uh, Hulk Hogan destroyed it uh, was, was a big proponent of this. This was a, the, 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 I would say the vector of attack from the gamers uh, was towards organizations like that that were promoting a specific narrative now, again, one of the things I, I try to do on this podcast is to get a little sense of who people are and how they got, you know, we have these jobs and the, these these descriptions of what a what or who a person is or what he does that are for besides being often oversimplifications, many of them are categories that simply didn't exist when I was your age, much less you know, 30, 40 years ago. And my audience is a little bit older probably than some other possible audiences in the world. You, you live in Malaysia. Yeah. You've spent your entire life in Malaysia. Almost my entire life. I have moved around a bit, but yeah, mostly. And yet you have become this internet personality in, obviously you speak perfect English. <laughs> yes. It, do most people in Malaysia speak perfect English? No, no, no. They they, they sound nothing like me. Um, how is it that you have such a good English? I grew up on the internet. That's how. That's amazing to me. That's actually what yeah. I thought the answer was, but it's astonishing. You know, because it, it just, when you think about how, you know, before the internet, you might have said, I mean, America, English was becoming this sort of global language, and yet you might have wondered whether American influence was going to always be as great as it is. And it certainly is. I mean, they and built certainly, the internet. Well, the, the internet, if, if if there was ever any question about that, the internet seemed to have really sealed that. So you, so you were, so you got into gaming and then started yep. writing about gaming. 
Uh, I would say, I mean, like any teenager, you know, I was a teenager in like, like the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, uh, I was a teenager, I got into video games, like any other male, right, any other guy that age, but I got into it through writing, you know, I used to write about video games, like, you know, video game reviews, that sort of thing, and it was mostly my passion for the hobby, I like I like playing video games, I don't play it as much as I, I want to nowadays, I just don't have the time for it, I wish I had the time for it. Um, I still keep up to date with it. I still keep in touch with it. But yeah, I got into writing as a result of, you know, reading a lot of books, you know, like reading history books, fantasy novels, that sort of th thing, you know, like Lord of the Rings, for example, uh, or Dune. Actually, Dune's a better example. I haven't really uh, finished Lord of the Rings. It's, it's kind of a boring book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it always looked like one to me. But I yeah, it's never... way too long. But I never really appreciated the fantasy genre. I mean, I have enough trouble with reality, with with the impossibility of reality yeah. that we're living through right now. Like, science fiction is <laughs> way more interesting, right? It's it's more speculative fiction. It's it's like like my favorite genres would be uh, just cyberpunk stuff, you know, like neuromancer things well, that well, are now reality. Well, the cool thing about science fiction is is that partially partially because of Asimov's influence, but in general yeah. because of the people who were attracted to it as the genre developed, that there are conventions there are rules and yes no one has to follow them but it, there's an understanding that we're here to have an intelligent literary conversation that's right not i mean to the extent for example that harry potter isn't right it's just magic can randomly save the day right that's the problem magic with a lot can, of... but but also things uh, powers that don't exist that yeah. existed it's unrealistic yeah it's, it's, it's you know it's just nonsense it's not you know it's not it, even it, speculative right it's it's like right. The only time it's interesting is when, you know, you have something like um, A Song of Ice and Fire, what people call Game of Thrones nowadays. That was the first book, right? That's interesting because it's more grounded in reality. The, the, the politics of it matter. The personalities matter more so than the use of magic. There's not very much magic at all. Like, apart from the dragons, you know, like that's it. That's like the only fantasy element of those books, really. I mean, there's obviously smaller instances. But with speculative fiction, something that is set in, say, 20 years from now, or even a thousand years from now it's always grounded in a certain kind of reality and yes there are exceptions like star wars i would not consider that to be science fiction that's more fantasy with a science fiction uh flair to it right like a laser swords or whatever but none of it's realistic they use the force that's nonsense right right it's also it's, it's remarkably inconsistent what yeah. are the what does it do how do you is it a religion we don't know right it changes is, is depending on who's writing it yeah <laughs> so okay rabbit hole that we don't really want to go down any deeper <laughs> than we already have. So nonetheless, even though you had this sort of social justice warrior, as they used to say, plat uh, um, profile at, during the Gamergate magic, um, you end up getting picked up by Murdoch. Right. Because I, you know, you could say I switched sites and some people will say, uh, and this tends to happen sometimes with some YouTubers People say, oh, they just switched sides overnight. And that is true with some people. They are simply looking for uh, the, the best way they can make money, right? Like, oh, if they failed on the left, they're going to try on the right. And we see this all the time. Uh, for example, Andrew Tate. People like to cite him as this based dude who's fighting against the Matrix or whatever. 
But the reality is that the guy's a pimp. I mean, regardless of whether the, the, the charges against him are real, the guy's a pimp. That was how he branded himself originally. And he sort of inserted himself into the right because he saw that there was a potential audience there, uh, you know, in the whole masculinity thing and traditional masculinity, although nothing that he teaches is traditional masculinity. You know, I mean, traditional masculinity, uh, traditional masculinity doesn't tell you to go beat your wife, you know, or treat her like crap or, you know, silence women or have multiple kids with multiple people that you don't even see. Like that, that's just ridiculous, right? That's not even masculinity. And yet, you know, there That's, are people like that. It's actually right. adolescence. It, 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 it's, it's adolescence. <laughs> yeah. Teenager might do that. And and that's like a teenager's idea of what masculinity is, but not to, you know, the point isn't like to bring him up as a, uh, you know, to attack him or anything. I'm just using him as an example of someone who, you know, might say switch sides or become political for whatever reason, because he's canceled on the left, obviously. And I don't think most people on the right are even on board with him. So I'm not one of those types of people. For me personally, it was more like, you know, I was I've always been the I've always been a, like a staunch capitalist. I always believed in meritocracy, in, you know, equality, not equity, but equality, the equality of opportunity to give, you know, the like if you deserve a job, I mean, if you if you're good at a job, you deserve it. Like I don't care what race you are, what 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 sex you are, your your, your preferences are, not none of that should matter, right? If you can do a job, you're good at it. What I took issue with on the social justice left is like, you know, I'm like, I'm on board with like, don't harass women or something like that's how they paint their movement, right? That's they say, it's all about being nice to people. And I think most liberals, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a liberal, I'd definitely call myself a post liberal or conservative nowadays, right? But at the time, it's easy to fall into that category or 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 that, you know, that group when all your friends are doing it, and you're trying to stop harassment, you see, uh, you know, like malicious actors going around doing bad stuff. But I couldn't stomach the rest of what they were selling, right? They were selling Marxism. They were selling, you know, uh, DEI, things like critical race theory, which is completely racist, things like that, right? And and the whole trans movement became a thing. Nowadays, that's a much bigger thing than it used to be. And I used to always, um, you know, pick apart what I saw on Tumblr. I would call it out. I'd be like, okay, these people are call are, are demanding that we use their non-binary bun slash bun self pronouns. And I'm like, that's insane. Like we got to call this out because this is becoming like the norm on our side. And, you know, eventually I was just calling these things out and I felt stifled. Like I couldn't criticize my peers in the entertainment industry because they started going down this, this rabbit hole of insanity, of this woke insanity. You'd I'd say something and immediately get like almost canceled for it. And and I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. Like, this is insane. I want to be able to speak out. I want to, you know, depoliticize myself, like disentangle myself from this leftist politics and just, you know, be an entertainment journalist. That was my plan originally. And that was probably my first pitch to the Mur to the Murdoch uh, enterprise, so to News Corp. Uh, one of my first few articles was about disentangling entertainment from uh, politics. And I think that's what a lot of people on the right want. A lot of libertarians certainly want that. Um and by doing so, by disentangling myself, I found myself talking to a lot of conservatives, a lot of uh, uh, disaffected liberals, people like uh, Carl Benjamin is a YouTuber, right? A great YouTuber. Uh, you might know him as uh, Sargon of Akkad, recently unbanned by Elon Musk. He's back on Twitter and he's you know fighting the good fight. At the time uh, when I uh, you know disentangled myself from the left, he was perhaps the first person to actually uh, open, to, to, to welcome me with open arms. He was like, guys, give Ian a chance. 
you know, uh, listen to him. I mean, what he's saying actually makes a lot of sense. And we don't want to, you know, disenfranchise him or make him feel like he's uh, he's ostracized or he's alienated. And I started talking to guys like him, you know, talking to people on the right, you know, uh, whether they were in politics or culture or entertainment. You know, there were other disaffected uh, games journalists like myself at the time talking to these people, just simply opening a dialogue publicly with them caused my DMs to be completely inundated with leftists. People who I, you know, who ostensibly called me their friends were attacking me in private and then publicly. They're like, Ian cannot be trusted. He is a, he's a right-wing shill, you know, he's actually a fascist and that I've always known him to be a fascist all along. You know, they just went down that path. It's impossible. So, you know, since we're there now, let's talk about that. I mean, I know a lot of people and in fact, I finally got tired of interviewing people solely because of solely because they had that experience because it, it just became an yeah, uninteresting it's not even an interesting story anymore it's it's a cliche they because the only thing worse than being a right wing fascist nazi a white supremacist like me and you is being a former leftist or yep. perceived or, or someone who at least was a fellow traveler someone who was you know, considered to be trustworthy and an okay guy. Yeah, I was, uh, have... I, was, I was a capitalist, so they didn't trust me fully, right? They're all communists. <laughs> Fact. Which is kind of funny, too, especially because because the gamer world has a very strong, um, a, a very strong libertarian streak, I think. Oh, absolutely. And that's what they want to change, right? This is like the gamer world, the gaming world is not, for this most gamers you know or people who play video games i I call them gamers right uh are i would say competitive by nature they love playing multiplayer games they'll play call of duty they want to kill the enemy and they want to come out as as the top as number one if they play single player games they're playing stuff like elden ring like uh, elon musk talks about this game right elden ring and it's a it's like a really tough game it's a game that if you quit then you've lost, you know, you have to keep trying and you have to keep dying and you learn from your experience. This is something that gamers have always had. And this is why people play video games. It's, you know, like if you play chess and and you're asking for the rules to be changed to chess, then maybe play something else or don't play chess at all, right? Because the point of chess is to master it, is to become good at that game. And that's what gamers take pride in, it, they, becoming good at something, skilled at something. That's why, you know, a guy like Elon Musk, he's a gamer, right? He He's all about challenging himself. And that's what I think a lot of gamers feel. But with the social justice streak, uh, and I was actually there from the ground up from when these people were coming up. They're now college professors. They're tenured college professors teaching uh, uh, media studies, you know, in, in places like the University of Melbourne. I actually know a guy there who's like the, the head of the media studies uh, group there. And he's a total leftist. I mean, they want to change the face of video games. They want to change what it means. So there's this push for games to be less competitive, to be more inclusive and diverse. That's the terms they use. But what they're really talking about is, is making uncompetitive video games non-competitive games Uh, you know another sort of cultural ideological trend that i would never have been aware of was um i'm sure you know yang ye yeah tremendous tremendously insightful guy uh i really and to be really clear i don't know a damn thing about gaming nothing nothing you might be my closest link to that world and that's Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I don't hang out all the time. Okay. Sure. Yeah. But he, his stuff is an example of content that's so good 
that even if you're not really in that space, you want to listen to it. And I stumbled a couple of weeks ago on a video where he was talking about this battle among uh, of how crypto had invaded the gaming space, yeah. and and Microsoft was had finally tossed out uh, a certain amount of um, certain certain crypto features. You know, we we basically were people were turning games into. Uh, opportunities whether you say to grift or whether you say for free enterprise but to 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 seek rent as we say in economics that's right yeah and 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 he his his point of view was that's not what gaming is supposed to be about mm -hmm. it's one thing to say you know again they should be competitive but another thing to say that people should be making bank on them and, yeah. and the other point of view apparently which is typical of crypto heads right is yeah every everything and everyone is an opportunity to make bank to be commodified right everything to, has to be commodified, to be commodified to be right commodified. yeah and it kind of it it, it and i actually it, it kind of well, who even who even thought if unless you're in that space that that was one of the, you know that that was one of the issues you know mm -hmm. that people were confronting so it, it's you know it, it's fascinating to me but what I also found about you is that they don't just call you names. There's also this theme out there that you're some kind of grifter. Now, <laughs> like the word bot, mm -hmm. the word grifter is used, is more likely to be used utterly inaccurately yep. than... How am I making accurate. money, right? That's my question. That's How what am I'm I making right. money so, from this? So I, was I don't even to, know. I wish I knew. It's not grifting to use your fame or your influence to present to people the opportunity to support sponsors yep. or, or for you to get a job. I mean, I saw mm -hmm. one reference where someone said, well, you, of course, you, you, he's always grifting. Or he's always, always grifting. Look how we got paid by uh, you know by murdoch that's called having a fucking job yeah it's called it's connecting not grifting. To people. it's about networking that, what did that cost you nothing nothing <laughs> yeah i'm not stealing from anyone i mean no no one who does anyone in the industry who is anybody anyone with any level of success professional success it's all about building those network uh those networking connections it's about building relationships with people it's about building a reputation if people see that, oh, uh, I'm a, a, a cultural commentator, a political commentator, and they were to offer me a job to go work somewhere for them, for a news media agency or whatever, I'll take the job, obviously. I mean, who wouldn't, right? I mean, I'm, I'm simply leveraging my skill set uh, to, to, to get what I want. And, and everybody does this. And otherwise, you know, you can be happy working at a, a nine to five uh, job in a grocery store for the rest of your life. I mean, that's, that's a lot of people and they have no ambition. And for some reason, you know, they, maybe they feel envious of anyone who's made it to uh, beyond that level to any extent. Although, as you and I both know, you've got twice as many followers as I do, which means you're making about twice as much money as I am from followers. <laughs> okay. Which means you can go to the groceries or buy something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not, this is not, uh, you know, really about the money. I mean, in my case, I'm very grateful that people by virtue of my relative prominence on, on, on Twitter and virtually nowhere else um, 
people want me to be their lawyer and I'm very happy to have that opportunity. So that's a yeah. tremendous leverage for me, given the, the, you know, the possible upside for lit litigation, but you know, whether it's selling coffee or getting, getting a journalism job. Now you were with a Will Chamberlain. Yeah. Human with, events with, with human events to me. Okay. I, I know that Will has no patience, no patience whatsoever. And we know from people that he has, Jet that he jettisoned very early on, yep. no names. Uh, he will is 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 a straight arrow to a fault, arguably. I mean, he, yeah, is, I mean, he, he will he will literally jettison a relationship, a long running, uh, professional or even personal relationship with anyone he has no time for. Like, if you're a bullshitter, you're gone, that's it, and that's how he he runs his. His, his life basically and it's a good way to go about things because he's a very successful man so it works he's a good guy so he's now guy. he's a great guy you right what how is it that you got to be one of the lucky people that elon musk decided to engage with on twitter had there been I would a, say... a relationship before that nope no, none before. Um, I would say, you know, I would attribute it to uh, my replies to him, the way I interact with him like a human being. And I offer, I would like to think, so at least he thinks so, I would like to think, uh, insightful replies, right? Insightful commentary, things that are more than just, you know, oh, here's a meme, Elon. You know, a lot of people are posting memes at him and he likes those and he does interact with those, but it's more than that. It's more, and it's not yelling at the guy. A lot of people dehumanize him. They're like, you're a billionaire. Do what I tell you to do. And, and, and you know, he's got no patience for that. I don't think anyone have patience for that. If someone started entering your, you Look, know, the whole replies, way people interact with each other on Twitter is insane. Is a parody of human relations. Yes. And for me, you know, like personally, when someone reaches out to me on Twitter and they interact with me like a human being, like a normal person, I will interact back. And it's the same for Elon. It's the same for Elon. And he's a down to earth guy. He, so, so that makes me want to ask you the question because you've, I know I want to go so far as to say you've gotten to know him, but you've certainly been a close observer now of what's going on, what he's doing. And as you said, you were in a space on the latest Twitter files release Yep. What and, and you and I had a little bit of an interaction on this a couple of weeks ago. There's no question. The, the, the word, in fact, this morning is that. I wish I could I actually should have pulled up the tweet, but there's no question that the extent to which. People thought that a new era of. Something much closer to being the free speech wing of the free speech movement mm -hmm. was has not been ushered in by elon musk even though what he's done has and has been so radical yeah that just as you were thrown out you know you know and and told never to darken the door of the left again mm -hmm. he he here's a guy who who far more than any social justice cred you ever had at game in the gamergate era was a hero of not the far left, but of the soft liberal progressive world yeah. is now equated on a regular. I mean, people were actually and have actually quit Twitter because he. So these changes took place. I recognize them. But there's been very he hasn't addressed. 
shadow banning. He hasn't. Yeah, addressed... he hasn't addressed that yet. It's because it's a very difficult problem to tackle, right? It's baked right into Twitter. Clearly, and, clearly. Yep. I've I've interacted with with him about this specific issue, and it is being worked on. It is a work in progress, much like a lot of things on Twitter are work in progress. I would I can confidently say that it will be dealt with, maybe not in the immediate future, but definitely in the future, right? And this is. Uh, it is crucial that he deals with it for Twitter to be a profitable platform. So he took a platform, Twitter, you know, he bought it, he bought a crime scene, but he also bought a business that was dying. It was on the way down. They had too many employees who were not doing anything, not benefiting the company in any way whatsoever. They were just bleeding money month by month by month, tens of millions, possibly hundreds of millions a month. Now he has taken more than $44 billion to try to fix this company. He bought it for $44 billion, and then he spent an additional five or $6 billion by selling Tesla stock in order to prop it up and to ensure that it will at least survive for the next one or two years without uh, a, a steady stream of revenue. The money that he's making right now from Twitter, it, it's not much, right? But it's definitely, a, it's not bleeding quite as, quite as much. Maybe it's not making a profit, but it's not dying at the very least. And he stopped the bleeding. And the, the the way forward, the path forward is to turn Twitter into a profitable business venture, which would mean uh, implementing monetization systems, allowing content creators to monetize it the way that Twitch or YouTube does, you know, with super chats, right. things like that. That's, you know, obviously in the works, he's been talking to YouTubers about this stuff. So that's all being developed. And going back to, you know, circling back to the shadow banning issue. I would say that it that that is in the pipeline. It has to be because in order for Twitter to be financially successful, for you know, there has to be trust in the platform. Right. And uh, it was this That's great me. article, and, and that means both algorithm and transparent mm -hmm. transparent procedures. That's right. Yeah, T A A S. Right. That's what uh, Elon calls it: a transparency as a service, and oh, and that is what yeah, or trust as a service. I think. Oh, I mean, very whichever. Good. Yeah, and he wants. Twitter to be a place where you can trust them to do the right thing, to trust them to not lie to you and to tell you why you're shadow banned or if you're banned or, or whatever the deal is with your account. You have to be able to know what's going on and how to remedy it. Otherwise, you know, it's like much like setting up a kangaroo court where everything's a crapshoot. It's a landmine everywhere, you know, laser trip mines here and there. And and that's most social media platforms. You can get banned for no reason on Facebook. You have no I'm astonished, right? And I and I've had so many people come to me who had storefronts on Facebook, who just had the rug pulled out from under them, and that's just it. And these yep. judge, and, and it's amazing to me. And I think the lawyers aren't necessarily attacking it the way that they might. Um, but judges defer to social media platforms as if the 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 commercial relationships that they have with human beings who are their customers, their users, or their product, no matter how, no matter how you describe those people, yep. they are not as many judges and lawyers and commentators and law professors think utterly lacking in recognized legal rights, mm -hmm. much less moral ones. But I'm astonished as as I got in my head more into the YouTube world at how major, major content uh, producers, gamers, and people with three, four, five million, uh, uh, um, you know, subscribers are, you know, the, last week, apparently, uh, YouTube rolled out a whole set of new- That's right. Content moderation. They can be, uh, they can be demonetized for 
cursing in the first 15 seconds or so. It, it is ridiculous because and it destroys. people who complained, mm -hmm. the response by Google was, first of all, inevitably, the ma so-called manual appeals are not manual appeals at all. They're not. Yeah, automated. And they then do a do a, a look back check on, on your past content that had not been flagged. And people are having videos from four, five, six, seven years ago demonetized. That's right. That's not good policy. And I don't believe anything in the in in the um in the DMCA or section 230 ever contemplated that you can induce someone to come onto a platform deliver value to you and rationalize could you read this from in the article yeah. that will and i wrote of course for you and events years ago of course but be our customer give us content help us promote help us bring other people onto the all these things get engagement going and but anytime we or some algorithm or some purple-haired twenty-three-year-old uh, don't any of these. You cross the line with any of these phenomena, mm -hmm. and we can completely disconnect you with, and we have do we have no responsible to answer. And but There's no I don't have to convince you of that. But 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 I'm just amazed that the ecosystem because Twitter has never I got been banned old. on PayPal. I got banned on PayPal. Zero recourse. I That's called it. them That's up talk and they're rude and... to me. They're like, you know what you did. We can't tell you what you did wrong, but you know what you did. Literally word for word what the guy said. Like he enjoyed saying it to me. I wish I had a recording for that. But Bastards. They are, yeah. They so, rub so, it in I mean, your face. So, so here's a guy who, who knows this all very, very well and gets it. And whatever people say about Elon, you know, and I'm amazed that there's a, you know, if it weren't for Elon Musk, you'd have had to invent him because- there's mm -hmm. no one who's more hated on YouTube than Elon Musk. Even gaming YouTubers that I follow will randomly trash the guy. And it's like, guys, a year ago, you were praising him. You were saying he's a he's a genius. He's the he's a Leonardo da Vinci of our times. And I agree that that that's probably the case. And yet now, because, you know, the meme is to hate Elon Musk. He's worse than Hitler. So your take, though, is that I mean, this has been my take as well, but I've been frustrated you know, but I'm, I've been frustrated by, well, first of all, I, I can't really tag him because I, because we're still suing Twitter <laughs> in the, in the DC Drano case. Yep. And that's another question, but you, I don't think you're any more capable of answering than I am. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, and, and I imagine if I, okay, if I were a successful executive, much less a an extremely successful executive, but the but but the Tesla stock price went way down. Yeah, guess yeah that and that I'm sure it's all because of Twitter, right? I'm sure it has nothing yeah, right. to do with the fact that other things that all the other things, including guess mm -hmm. what? You the Tesla's always been kind of a you know kind of an exaggerated success story anyway. Sure, listen whatever. My point is, and I do have one, that if I were a successful executive, I would obviously have a set of priorities. And, you know, I get these DMs from people all the time who want my help in restore in restoring banned accounts, which oh, I get so many of those. I, I can seldom offer, yeah. especially because of this problem with my addressing Elon Musk, despite being... And the fact that I'm having 
literally having, you know, my follower count reduced mm-hmm. on a daily basis. I can live yep. with, I can live with that. I can live with it. But I will say that one thing that was really weird and they clearly, I absolutely believe they begged this in November was a golden age of Twitter. Yes. It was so fun. The engagement was phenomenal. And I was gaining a thousand followers a week as I should have been for the previous five years. Why? Because I'm that good. I'm da- I'm yeah. really good at Twitter. Yes, you are. And you're being <laughs> throttled by the algorithm. You know, like I would say like my own success like uh, on Twitter, right? Not anywhere else, but on Twitter in regards to that is I have been growing by a thousand a day. Uh, and I can attribute that only to Elon Musk responding to uh, every other one of my tweets, right? He will respond to me at least once a day. So that's cool. That's, right. That's fantastic. It's only, and, and it's only in spite of, so it's like, it's growing in spite of everything else though, because I am still shadow banned. That's a funny thing. I no, am no, still I, no, 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 that's right. No, the fact is I'm, I might still be adding a thousand, but they're actually taking away. Yeah. And, and look, I know that there's, I know that there's culling and other, there's garbage, but listen, Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be like this. It wouldn't be so blatant. So I believe that that is, you know, Ron Coleman not being able to get to 300,000 uh, as fast as he wants isn't really a, a super duper big problem. Yeah. Moreover, I think I, again, not being a techie and not really understanding, the, you know, although my brother ha- has explained, uh, my brother who was a, a software engineer and very knowledgeable about the cloud, has explained to me a lot about how distributed network systems work and why mm-hmm. often things don't, you know, it's not like just you and your PC. There's a no. gazillion PC. There's a gazillion there's many networks. Out there's there. a slow None pipe, there's a, a fast pipe, multiple uh, right. uh, statistical engines. I mean, Elon even went into detail about this in a recent space where he was talking to one of Twitter's uh, newly hired uh, Twitter interns, an engineer named George Hotz. He's perhaps uh, best known for being the guy who hacked the PlayStation or the Apple iPhone. He cracked the code without having the code. I mean, that's, the guy's brilliant, right? And they were talking, going over Twitter systems. And they came to the conclusion that Twitter is simply burdened with way too many different code bases. It's not just a single program running a single thing, right? I mean, like normally if you, you know, if you create a program, it's just the one thing, right? And if you're developing, say, a piece of software that is more complicated, then maybe you're running, you know, a single big program with several other uh, subroutines or whatever, right? Sets of programming or, or you know, like maybe there's a graphics engine. Maybe there is an engine for the user interface. Maybe there's an engine for sound, right? Different engines that are operating in tandem to produce a single cohesive product, say for a video game. With Twitter, they have multiple layers of this stuff, different code bases, different languages written in, on different servers, different architecture, different locations, even one in, you know, say one will be in San Diego, the other one's in in a, in a different state in Texas. In other words, like, it was not managed very well. No, it's run very poorly. And it's up to these new engineers that they hired to disentangle all this stuff to make sure that it's very streamlined. And that's why there's some downtime recently where they literally shut down a whole network of servers, realizing that they, they were just like paying money for this backup that wasn't actually doing anything for the site, it was making it slower because of the way the, the the network was routed through the code or the code was routed through the network. It was going through the slower system instead of the faster system that was developed later on. It was a very poorly run company, right? The, the, that's the issue with diversity hires to the previous Twitter. They didn't 
get people for their ability, right? They got them because of whatever reasons. Uh, and uh, and and now Elon's cl cleaning things up. This is where his focus is in at the moment is to re basically rebuild Twitter from maybe not from scratch, but from a to create a clean process, one that's not running, you know, ten different code bases, one that just runs a single one. Uh, yeah, I mean, code. my understanding was that a lot of the you know accounts that people thought should be immediately restored wasn't yep. just a matter of flipping a switch. These things were, you know, there's they, they were booby trapped and and they and and they were you know there was all kinds of gunky yep. code around the banning. Like why they got to... banned, right? It was algorithmic. If it, if the ban wasn't you know directly made by someone, say a moderator, that could could be easily flagged. You'd be like. Oh, that ban was a mistake. Unflag it. It's not banned anymore. But these accounts were banned algorithmically, tied to certain keywords, to certain uh, campaigns of banning that they were doing, like when they were going after the so-called Russian disinformation bots, which all turned out to be Americans, not Russians. There were no Russian bots at all, as we've seen in the latest Twitter files. When they were banning these people, I imagine that they in simply installed a code to start banning these accounts. And so if you were banned in those uh, one of those batches, it'd be a lot more difficult to simply unban you. Uh, you know, because that code is still there. The code that caused you to be banned is still in place. So even if they unflag it, you might get banned, you know, immediately after. It's complicated stuff. So am I, am I a, you know, are, are we just, um, you know, Elon Musk simps? Uh, he has really put so much on respect the, the man. We respect the man for doing what he does, right? I don't think that makes you a simp. I think it's, recognizing what he has done for the the space for free speech and he's got you know he's got skin in the game he's not just a guy who a commentator who's saying here's what we need to do he's like here's 44 billion dollars and here's six billion dollars more because i want to fix the system i heard somebody say to me yesterday that you know he, he, the problem the problem with elon musk that this non-multi-billionaire that is that he's is that notwithstanding his obvious business talents, he is impulsive, and he made this Twitter purchase this purchase and thereby distracted himself from Tesla. And you see mm -hmm. what impulsivity is. Wait a minute, and this is sounds a lot like a Trump argument that I remember yep. from a few years ago. You're telling me that he's such a bad manager. That he the problem the reason Tesla has been having trouble is that he's not managing enough at Tesla. Which is it? Is he impulsive and inconsistent? In which case, his getting away from Tesla should be a great thing, or mm -hmm. is it that something else? It's kind of like when people right. were saying, "We need Trump back, no matter what, because he's he's the only one who can undo what he's done." Or, or what happened when he was president? I said, "Well, is listen, is Trump an idiot? Why would you want? Yeah, why genius? would you want the guy that caused the problems in the first place to fix it? it? That makes no sense, right? It's it's contradictory. And with Elon Musk, I mean, look, I can say personally, and he has told me this, right, that buying Twitter was not an impulse decision. It was something that he had arrived at after a long time of thinking. It was something. There's in no his such thing network. as a forty billion dollar impulse decision. No. I don't care." Who you are, I don't like care if you have the money sitting in bullion. You cannot make a decision like that on impulse. There's simply too 
as a lawyer. Too many processes. Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't happen. And he has happen. to get money from stockholders and 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 people he owes money to banks, right? He has to loan the money. It's not like he's got forty billion dollars just sitting there. So it's a whole process of it. And even if he did have that money, it's not something anyone would do. No way. It's not like you know buying a piece of candy and eating it. See, my problem is that even, notwithstanding my frustration with how certain things are coming and going, and what I. The take that I had in November is still the accurate take, which is that his purchase of Twitter was of historic cultural and political proportions. And anyone who doesn't recognize that, even if nothing else changed from where we are right now, is simply, you know, just trying to be that guy, just trying to be that naysayer, someone who knows Mm -hmm. better. It's phenomenal. When has someone put so much of of a personal fortune into something that may or may not be profitable? Because I agree with you. I always said that that if Twitter were one right, it surely would be making money. Yes. But if you look at the list of you know, if you look at all all the things that the social justice people put in to prevent anything even remotely looking like a free market of ideas of communication mm-hmm. of course it couldn't be yeah it, it, it's, it's no work. more capable of turning a profit than harvard is yeah but without the patents because none of I mean, that's where all you know all these universities that's where their money anyway, comes listen, in, yeah believe yeah. it or not we've we have used up more than our more than our allotted time ian i'm so glad we got we we did this and i think we've got yeah, to absolutely. do it again oh absolutely Great. i'm down there's Great a lot to talk about. Yes, there Likewise. is. Yep. No, maybe we should have a regular feature. Yep, Thanks maybe. again. We'll, we'll, we will be in touch. All the best. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com, or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.